All right. So uh, I want to first uh, address maybe some of you who are uh, new uh, to faith. Maybe you're brand new to faith. You're brand new to, to Christianity. Uh, or maybe you don't know much about Christianity at all. And you're here today. Someone invited you. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're like, what is this about? Um, and, and so maybe you're at that front end spot, right, of, of just even information about what's in the Bible and what Christianity uh, is. I know that we have a lot of people that uh, attend in person and then also online who come from different faith backgrounds and they're exploring or, uh, or they're just completely new to where every time we say to turn somewhere in their Bible, they're just like, I don't know. And they see lyrics to the worship and they're just like, what in the world does that mean? And, and so we have, so if you're in this space, in this room today or watching online, uh, one, you're not alone. Uh, and two, I want to be upfront and let you know that this is going to be difficult. Okay. Uh, this is a very difficult book uh, to walk through and especially uh, being new and maybe you've heard different things about it. It can be challenging. Uh, the, the other side is we have other people who have like made it their life's mission to understand revelation, right? Like some of you, any sermon, uh, any book, anything about it, you've tried to get your hands on it. And so you are here as the foremost expert other than Jesus on revelation. And you're here like, I want new and I want all of that. Okay, so we have you in this room and online. And then we have people that are just like, I don't really know. I've been a Christian for a while. I'm kind of newer to faith. And I was just told by another Christian, don't touch that book. So I haven't, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, and so some of you are just like, I don't know what he's going to talk about. So, or you read the first three uh, chapters and you went, okay. Then you turned to chapter four and you went, no, thank you. And you put it away. Okay, so there's a bunch of you coming from different places in this room today, engaging with this conversation and this topic and this book. Uh, for us to fully develop it, one of the things that we're doing with this series that we haven't done before is we're going to put out a podcast on Wednesday evenings. Uh, and, and the podcast is going to be that time where uh, we help unpack uh, some of these things in a, in a more robust way. Uh, so if you're brand new to faith, that's going to really help bring you in. And then also for some of you that are like experts in Revelation, it's also a time where we're going to talk about the different positions. We're going to talk about the structure of the book. We're going to talk about the, some of, you know, the symbolism and the Old Testament things that we see and how they interact together. Uh, that podcast is going to help us uh, gain uh, and take greater ground as we walk through this so that on Sundays I can try to, to keep us all on the same page versus going on some of these rabbit trails that I would lose half the church. They'd just be like, what? And why is that important? And who is that person? Am I on that team? What? And so that's going to be available uh, to you. Um, Revelation is a book that has confused and frustrated the minds of the best biblical scholars. So I want to just put that out there. Uh, many of the brightest minds, uh, Revelation has confused them. 
Uh, Many of them arrive at different points on different issues, on different symbols, on different timelines. Uh, And a lot of them have just honestly stayed away from it. Some of the best commentaries, uh, some of the best thinkers, they they don't even include Revelation uh, in it. And it's hilarious to hear some of the quotes of how it annoys them. It keeps them up at night. Um, and, and so it's this book that is difficult. And so the, the question is like, well, well, why? Why are we doing this, right? Because, you know, some of you, to be honest, some of you, when I said we were doing it, you were just like, finally, my church has arrived. Finally, God is good. Steve finally gets it. We're doing it. I've been praying for this for years. And then others of you, who maybe have trauma associated with this book, like to where some of you have been forced to watch movies. Uh, you're, you've, you've heard certain things. And, and I remember for me growing up, the book of Revelation represented one thing and one thing only, fear. Every time I, my parents, they would turn on some of these movies and they were never as well done, were they? And and they would all just like panic gone, people are gone, planes are crashing, people are dying, and they're like, Revelation, Steve. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it was like everything was afraid and fearful. And so I remember growing up, and even as I started to follow Jesus, I was like, keep me away from that book. So some of you have come up to me and you're like, why are we doing that book? Like, what are you doing? Like, we got a good thing going here. Why would you do that? You know, and, and so some of us are there. And so I really think that this is going to uh, honestly encourage us, repair some harm that maybe has been done. And, uh, and I think it's going to be uh, an exciting journey for all of us, regardless of where you're at or your background. The word revelation, it's translated from the Greek word uh, apocalypsis, which means to reveal or unveil, uncover, or, or disclose something. And so in this book, God is, is pulling back the curtain in order to show us something that was previously hidden or unknown. And, and what we see is, is this incredible, beautiful image of the glorified Christ in heaven. And what we also see is the fulfillment and plans of his purposes for this world and for the church. And it's so interesting how when you look at even uh, prophecy and in the Old Testament, hundreds of years earlier, uh, Daniel, as he was finishing up writing prophecy, he was instructed to to shut up the words and to seal the book we see in Daniel chapter 12, 4. It actually says that. It says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. But John, the Apostle John, who's the writer of Revelation, he's given opposite instructions in Revelation. In Revelation 22.10, it says, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So why? Why does he say that? Well, ever since the cross, what Jesus did on the cross, ever since the resurrection, ever since the Holy Spirit uh, came, God has ushered in what we call and refer to as the last days. And we see this alluded to in in Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. So he talks about these last days. So he's ushered in these last days where he's fulfilling these hidden purposes and plans for the world. And so, and so that's the point, that's the purpose here is to unveil, to reveal John, the Apostle John, is the one who wrote the book of Revelation, and he wrote it around 95, 96 AD during the reign of the Roman imperial, uh, emperor Domitian. The emperor Domitian had demanded that he be worshipped as the Lord and God. And so Christians were refusing to do this. Christians were refusing to acknowledge and to worship him as that. And, and so since they uh, rejected that and would not acknowledge him as Lord and God, uh, he uh, brings about this intense wave of persecution. Uh, that's when we see Christians being thrown into these arenas, being uh, murdered, crucified, all kinds of horrific things. And, and we see uh, that ultimately tradition tells us that he sent John away uh, in exile to the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, which was a Roman uh, penal colony off the coast of Asia Minor, or what we know as modern day Turkey. And so John, uh, as he's old in age, he's the last of the apostles to die, but he suffered before his death on this island because he'd been sent there to do hard labor, and he was to die uh, because of his witness for Jesus. Now, why is that important? Why is it important to understand the context here? It's so important to understand where the people are at at that time, these Christians, these churches. See, at that time, there has been, at this point, almost 30 years of just intense persecution on the church. And, and, and I mean, Intense. We think we know what intense means. When you study the 30 years there and that history, it is astounding. It is it's remarkable, all the pain and suffering that happened. And it really uh, began with Nero in 65 AD. Nero was an awful emperor. Uh, he, he was the one who literally lit Christians up on fire. Uh, just, just awful. And he started this incredible wave of persecution. And, and then, you know, you, you got to imagine as Jesus followers, man, the next emperor, God, bring the next emperor. I pray that the next emperor is better. But then it's uh, Vespasian, uh, who was the one who destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. So it just got worse. And then all of a sudden, Paul, Peter, and Timothy are being publicly executed. Now, these are the face of the franchise, right? These are those Christians. They're the ones who have written these letters. They're the ones that people look up to. And, and these uh, individuals are publicly executed. And, and, and so then we get to this next emperor, Domitian. Oh, maybe it'll be better. No, it's just worse. So I want you to just place yourself in their seat because Revelation is written to specific churches under this intense persecution. It's written to a specific people in a specific place at a specific time. See, this was written for us, but not to us. Does that make sense? 
Revelation is, and it's a, this unique book because it comprises of, of three different literary genres. Okay, you have apocalypse, you have prophecy, and you have a letter here. That the book is an apocalypse. It tells us that it's highly metaphorical and symbolic. Okay, so the images and symbols, they represent real truths and real things, but we get into trouble, we err when we interpret them in an overly literal sense. That makes sense? Symbols are meant to be what? Symbolic. Now, some symbols it's gonna explain to us, but others it's not. And that's where we see people go, well, I think it's this, or I think it's that, or I think it's like that. And, and the, the other thing we need to know is as John is writing this, he's writing with the vernacular of, of Scripture. Okay, so, so that's what he knows. That's what, what he's seeing. Uh, all he knows as far as words to use to put to what he's saying is from Scripture. So he's using the Old Testament. He's using words and images from the Old Testament to try to describe what he's seeing. And that's where we see that connection. Okay, um, and so it's always important to notice carefully the words like and as, as we read this. Because what these words indicate is a what? They're a comparison, not an identification. Okay, because what he's seen, you just need to know, he does not have the words in his language to describe it. And some of you who have read all of Revelation, you go, yeah, I get it, it's weird. And, and so over and over again, you see words like like or as, and he's just trying to find words to put to what he's experiencing and what he's seeing. What also makes Revelation challenging is Revelation is not linear. We get, we get different pictures. It's not in chronological order. See, it's not what happens next, but it's what John sees next. That's really important. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to look where John was looking. That's our goal. It's not to look at the news headlines and go, oh, that's where he was looking. And we see the outline of the book in chapter 1, verse 19, where it says this. He says, write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. See, the things that that John had seen, it's going to include that we're going to look at today in chapter one, the vision of the risen Christ, the things which are happening right now that are described in uh, the letters to the seven churches in chapters two and three that we're going to look at in the next three weeks here. And then what we see is the things that will take place after these things. And these are the prophecies in chapter four through 22. But, but as we think about, well, why are we going through this, walking through this? You guys, it's very clear God intended for us to read and to understand it because he tells us twice in verse three that there is a blessing for those who read, hear, and keep the words of this prophecy. That's incredible. That's in no other book in the Bible. So God intended to bless, to comfort, and encourage his people in every generation, to encourage them to be faithful, uh, to, to persevere, even and, and especially during times of persecution and suffering. And you just got to put yourself into the setting and imagine how refreshing, how hopeful, how much needed these words were. And so Revelation had a word of blessing for the first century church, just 
as it has a word of blessing for us today. You guys, as I read this and I've been studying this, man, the more and more I've realized we need this book. Like we need it. Like it's not like this, oh, maybe we'll get there. Oh, Steve, you haven't covered it. You covered every other book. Yeah, do we or do we start something else? No, 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 no. The more and more I went into this, the more it was just in my face. We need this. We have to have this. And look at the promise that comes with it. The the blessing that goes along with it. And, And I think that's different. That's kind of, I think for a lot of us, it's a foreign message to be honest because we've never heard being blessed because of this. All we've heard is fear. And so there's a different message, I think, for us today, regardless of where you're at. And so let's, let's start this. In verse uh, 1, it says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and to keep what is written in it for the time is near. Okay, so I I mean, first line, we cannot miss this. You can miss everything else. Do not miss this. The book begins with the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, don't miss it. John's prophecy is primarily the revelation of Jesus. It's not the revelation of future events. This is the revelation of Jesus. You cannot divorce the person uh, from the prophecy because without Jesus, there could be no fulfillment of these prophecies. Without him, it doesn't work. He is the chief subject of revelation. It says, first line, it's the revelation of Jesus. And so as you study this book, as we study this book and walk through it together, my heart, my prayer is that if nothing else, you get to know Jesus better. See, he's, he, he's giving us this glimpse. It's a gift from God. He's giving us this glimpse of the spiritual conflict that goes on behind the scenes that you and I are just walking around clueless to. And so we see it said, this is a blessed gift from God the Father, which he gave to his son, which the Lord Jesus graciously shares with us. And it says the things in this revelation must quickly or will soon take place. Now, this phrase occurs seven times in Revelation and it emphasizes imminence and expectancy. Okay, imminence and expectancy. In fact, we we looked at in Hebrews uh, chapter one, verse one and two, how it talks about the last days. And and in 1 John uh, 2, 18, uh, we see him say, children, it is the last hour. As you have heard that Antichrist is, is, is coming and now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Okay, so that's what it's saying. Um, And I I love this from Alan Johnson. He says this. He says, in eschatology and apocalyptic literature, the future is always viewed as imminent. The church in every age has always lived with the expectancy of the consummation of all the things in its own day. Imminent describes an event that is possible any day, impossible no day. 
Okay, so, so you think about it could happen today. It could happen during my lifetime. I remember my grandfather uh, telling me he thought it was coming. It was going to happen before his death. My dad, he and I have had many conversations about how it's going to happen. And the church throughout history has had that conversation because it is imminent. It is going to happen. We don't know when, but we know that we're in these last days. And so to make this vision, this apocalyptic vision known, Jesus sent his angel, we read here. And an angel just means messenger. And this angel was sent to the apostle John, who's uh, this elderly man at this stage, and he's on this island of Patmos. And what do we read? We read that God promised a special blessing to the one who would read out loud the book and obey its message. There's a blessing to those who read out loud. And it says read out loud because when the churches receive this letter, that's how people could know and learn and understand is they would read it out loud for people to hear. Blessed are those who read it out loud. Blessed are those who hear the prophecy and those who respond to it in obedience. Isn't that amazing? So, so we're blessed because of this. See, John didn't send this book of prophecy to the churches in order to satisfy their curiosity about the future. See, God's, God's people were going through intense persecution, intense. Uh, so often we make our persecution uh, this, this incredible thing, this monumental mountain, right? And then we look and study what they were going through and we go, oh my goodness. So these people are going through this intense persecution for following Jesus. And they're just like, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can keep going. I'm losing family members. And, and, and I don't know if it's gonna cost me my own life. And so what did they need? They needed encouragement. And so as they heard this book read aloud, as people are sitting there and they know this, this very message, this, this, this relationship with Jesus, this, this thing could cost me my life. This could cost me my family, my kids, uh, my, my, my parents. They're hearing this message. And as it's read aloud, it would give them hope. It would give them strength and it would give them hope and it would help them also examine their own lives. See, what we hear, we need to obey. What we believe, we need to live out. Why, he says, the nearness of the Lord's return is here and it is meant to challenge us to live faithful lives now. And, and, and this is why there is this blessing we see that is reserved for those who personally respond to this and obey. They're the ones who hear, receive, and respond and get their lives into the place that their lives need to be in where it's honoring and glorifying God and they're blessed in that and they're blessed in the reality of what the promises are. They're blessed in the hope. They're blessed in what is to come. And, and so it, it, it's a beautiful thing if we will respond and obey. And we continue here in verse four, it says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father. 
To him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. Okay, so John, he now writes to these seven churches in Asia Minor or modern Turkey, and he greets them in the name of the triune God. And he offers praise to him, uh, to God, who has poured out his grace on all of the believers in these areas, in these churches. And we see God is described as the one who is, who was, and who is coming. I love that. See, what what we need to know about God is he is the God of the present. Okay, do you hear me on that? He is the God of the present. For churches, as they're hearing this, do you know how reassuring that was to just be reminded of? God is the God of the present. He's the God of what's going on right now. For some of us right now, our lives are chaos. We're struggling. We're suffering. We're going through all kinds of things. Uh, There's confusion. and, And we just need to hear that he is God of the present. He's over it but he's also God of the past. What a beautiful reminder. Some of us, our pasts are pretty checkered. There's a lot there. Man, I know my past, there's some things that I'm just like, we'll just keep that there. Very glad social media wasn't a thing when I went through my phase um, or it'd still be alive, I guess. But the past, right? And and I love how he's God of the past. He's God of my parents. He's God of of my my lineage. He's God of all of these things that were on and were happening before. And so where I'm at today, I don't have to look at and just go, why, why, why? He's God of that. And then he's God of the future. He is the sovereign Lord over all of history. So what I love about this is I may feel like I'm not in control but he is in control. He's in control. And what's great is he has been in control and he will continue to be in control. And so for you and I, when we get caught up and we just go, oh my goodness, what's going on? Why is this so jacked up and all that? Just remind yourself he's in control. He was in control. He's in control now and he will continue to be in control. Then we see the seven spirits before his throne. And I believe this is a reference to the Holy Spirit seen in his fullness. Okay, so this phrase can be uh, understood in light of Isaiah eleven two, where it, it says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, it's not talking about separate spirits different from the Holy Spirit. No, this is the fullness. These are all the aspects of the Holy Spirit. And so when it talks about seven, that number, we need to pay attention to it, especially in Revelation. It's a number of perfection, completion. And so we see um, the completion of, we see the Holy Spirit in all his fullness there. And then finally, Jesus is seen. And Jesus is seen as what? He's seen as the faithful witness, the first begotten from the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. So he is the faithful witness of God, always. He's the first begotten from the dead. Now it's not saying like he resurrected first because Jesus actually resurrected people. And before that, some people were resurrected, but he takes preeminence over anybody else that has ever resurrected. And and he is the ruler of all of the kings of the earth. Now, how reassuring would that be if you were sitting here under Roman power? 
to hear those words. That he's over that. He is over him. He's over that king. And, and, and some, of, some of us, we need to hear that today. He is over our leaders. He's over all of it. And then I love the next part. He also loves us and has set us free by his blood. He loves us and has set us free by his blood. I mean, you cannot miss that. That is just the gospel being dropped right into there. That he loves us and he went to the cross for you and for me. And then lastly, we see Jesus made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he calls us a, a holy priesthood. And, and, and this is that opportunity that, that we have as Jesus followers when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, where, where we now have been granted this, this privilege and this access to the Father, which is remarkable. We have the ability to sacrifice, to, to bring worship and praise uh, to him. And then we see in there this, this call to behold, it says, or in, in, in verse 7, or, or to, to look. And what this is, is a call to pay attention. To pay attention to what? Well, there's a pretty big thing next, isn't there? Jesus is coming with the clouds of heaven. It says, pay attention. Jesus is coming with the clouds of heaven, and the whole earth will see this. Like the whole earth will see this. And then what's next is like, man, this is, this is rough. I don't like this. It says, and then there will be great mourning. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, it says. And, and we see that those who recognize that they put him on the cross, right? We, we even see the nation of Israel in, in, in Zechariah 12, 10. It says this, hundreds of years earlier, it says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So the nation of Israel is gonna, is gonna just weep. You're going to weep over this. And, and it's going to lead, what we're going to read later, many, are, it's going to lead them to repentance, which is incredible. It's going to lead repentance in other people as well as they, as they see him. But for, for most for people, for the people scattered around the world, uh, for most of them, it, it's not going to lead uh, to that. It's going to be mourning over the doom that they see represented in Jesus. But don't miss what John says. What does John say after saying that? He says, even so, amen. See, if you want to talk about a camp you want to be in, that's the camp, the even so, amen camp, right? How is he able to say that? How is he able to do that? Well, well he's embraced, he's listening, he's responded, he is enduring uh, for the sake of Christ. And, and, and so he's like, come now, even so, Amen. And then God says this in verse eight. He says, I am the alpha and omega and the one who is and who was and who is coming. And once again, he's declaring he is the omniscient. He is the all-knowing, eternal, everlasting God, unlimited by time. There never was a time he was not and there will never be a time where he is not. 
And then lastly, he is the Almighty. He has absolute authority, control, and power. And you just go. And so we read in verse 9, it says this. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like like, just, just making sure you're still awake. Like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, so, so right away there in, in verse nine, we see John's reward for being this faithful witness uh, for Jesus during his life is he sent away to work and die alone. And so he begins by writing to them by, 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 by saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not an apostle here. I'm a brother with you in this. I'm a partner in suffering in the tribulation that we're going through for Jesus. And what you see here is, is honestly, he speaks to this kingdom that they're a part of. So he's talking about there's, there's actually this privilege that we have in suffering for Jesus. And then he talks about there's, there's a purpose that we see in suffering for Jesus when we have to suffer. And it's for spiritual endurance. He's teaching us how to spiritually endure. And so what that communicates is this was all according to God's plan. John being on that island exiled from the rest of the population, uh, that wasn't an accident. That was on purpose. There was a plan even in that. In fact, James 1.4, it reminds us, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what he was going through, his own struggle, it's allowed him to write this letter in a way that says, hey, I'm in this with you. We're walking through this uh, together. And let, let's just be encouraged because we know what God is doing in us right now. And then we see this incredible encounter says, on the Lord's day, he tells us he was in the spirit 
on the Lord's day. And the Lord's day, likely Sunday, he's worshiping. And all of a sudden, he gets caught up in this supernatural state and inter- that I, I don't even know how to describe. Maybe I should say like. Okay? And so he's caught up in this, this spiritual, supernatural state. And I've watched some of the Marvel movies, so maybe I'll just say another dimension. I don't know. Um, but, but anyway, or the multiverse, I don't know. But anyway, he's, he's in this encounter with God, this supernatural, spiritual encounter with God. And suddenly, as he's caught up in this space, he hears this loud voice behind him like a trumpet. And he's commanded to write on a scroll what he saw and send it to these seven churches. And, and like you and I would do, John is like, what in the world? And he, so he turns around to look and to see whose voice is this trumpet. And he turns around. And there he sees seven golden lampstands. We see imagery from what Moses constructed a seven-branch lampstand for the temple in Exodus 37, Zechariah had a vision of his own of a seven-branch golden lampstand that represented the eyes of the Lord. But verse 20 tells us that in, 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 in Revelation, they are the seven churches. They are these seven specific churches. And then John also sees a person in the midst of the lampstands. And it is the Son of Man the Lord Jesus. And this title that he gives, the son of man title, goes back all the way to Daniel chapter seven. In Daniel chapter seven, uh, 13, it says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So this is the son of man title that we see him use. This is Jesus's favorite self-designation, right? Some of you have a title that you, you like to be called by. In fact, some of you are a little anal about it, and you will, you will correct people. Um, I remember... Um, I had a friend and he got his doctorate and, and he would not acknowledge you unless you said doctor first. And I was like, dude, you got to let that go. I mean, congrats. Do you want more claps? Do you want more well done? Um, and, but he was like adamant, right? And, and, and for some of us, it may be a name, a nickname, a way you want to be addressed, right? And, and, and Jesus, this title, son of man, it occurs 81 times in the gospels. It is his favorite way of identifying himself because it identifies him as the heavenly Messiah who is also human. And, and what I love about this, and we can't miss this, is notice his location is among the lampstands. See, right, he's, he's right there with them. See, what, what this communicates to us, what we see here is, he is in the midst. He's, he's very much a part of what's going on in these churches. He's in the midst of them. And so how does that encourage the listeners? How does that encourage you and I today? It tells us that Jesus is not disconnected from this church. 
He's in it. He's amongst it. He's operating. He's working in our lives collectively together. And as, as the listeners are hearing that Jesus is right there in their midst, they're reminded of that promise that he would never leave them or forsake them, that it's actually better that he goes away. And, and, and so they're hearing that Jesus is, is, has an active role in their lives even right now, and it's encouragement. And for you and for me, uh, in, the, in the crazy, chaotic uh, space that we're in, we're in a middle school gym, by the way. Yeah, process that. I was back in my green room, which is a middle school boy's locker room, feeling like a diva, and as the smells were just penetrating, and we see <laughs> that he's in our midst. He didn't care what smells like in here. He's in our midst. He's at work and they're hearing this and man, their lives are rough. It's difficult. They don't know if they can make it. And they're hearing he's right in the middle of all they're experiencing. And then we just see this, just, just this moment that John has as he's confronted with the unveiled glory and splendor of Jesus. And what John saw only, words only can try the unveiled, glorified, and exalted Jesus. And in his clothing, we see our priest. The clothing uh, is that that a priest would have worn in the Old Testament. His appearance that we see, his hair, his eyes, the penetration, his voice like, like the waters. Um, and what's in his hand? His hand when we see what's in his hand, that represents what? That's mine. That's his possession. That's under his protection. And what we see is the seven stars are his servants who are protected. Now, he identifies them as angels who have a specific relationship to that church. Many believe that they represent the pastors of each church I'm in, I would love to believe that because I think that just sounds awesome to imagine myself being there. Um, but we have to move some things around to make that work. So we'll just stick with what it says. But regardless, they belong only to him. They're his. You're hearing this, you're, you're, you're being persecuted, you struggle, your faith, your doubts, all these things. And, and what you need to hear, you, you belong to him. He's got you in his hand. You are under his protection. Nobody can protect you and I like that. There is nothing that we have to fear. There is nothing this church should be afraid of. He's in our midst. He has a hold of us. And so as, as chaotic as even these last three years, whatever they are, have been um, and, and, and move after move uh, after move uh, and, and all of this, we, like, and, and whatever happens with me, we have nothing to be afraid of. Absolutely nothing. We are in his hands. Man, does that give me confidence. Man, does that just allow me to freely uh, worship him and, and, and go about my life and my day in the midst of opposition? Because I'll tell you what, guys, it is becoming more and more difficult and more and more isolating to follow Jesus, isn't it? I mean, it just is. He's got us in his hand. You see, the sword is the word of God. It's divine in judgment, power, and authority. And we see that when John is looking at him, John just drops like a dead guy. 
Like he just drops. And then Jesus lays his hand on him and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. He is before all and he is after all. All is under his sovereign control. He is the living one, he says, declaring, I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And, and I love how it says, you know, it talks about death and Hades. See, what, what they looked at was like death claimed the body, but the soul of the spirit went to Hades, or you see the word Sheol in the Old Testament. Um, but what you need to know and understand what Jesus is saying here is that doesn't happen unless I say so. Are you seeing this? Like, like you want to talk about a power play? He says, I have the keys to death. I have all of the authority. He holds the keys of death and Hades, and he alone opens or closes that door. Uh, some of you have kids that are getting close, like uh, your kids probably, if you have them, they're looking at you like, I want to drive, right? Even my little ones, they're young and they're like, hey, can I drive? And they're little, so it's easy to just go, no. But some of you, some of you, your kids are starting to get there, right? They're starting to like look and you're, and you're like, oh no, our eyes are starting to align at the right level, right? And they're, they're growing. Some of them are like shooting up and you're feeling threatened and you're starting working out all over again and all this. But you, 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 you see this, and all of a sudden, they're like, hey, can I have the keys? And you're like, and, and for some of you, they're not at that age yet. And you're like, no. What are you doing there? I've still got authority, right? You're demonstrating, I still hold the keys. I still got the key. Jesus is saying, you should have no fear of death or whatever is to come. I hold those keys. And so if I fear death, if I'm sitting there paralyzed by all these events, all these things that are happening, what I've essentially said is, no, thanks, give me the keys, and I'm where I'm at. And say, instead of saying, no, he alone has the keys. And then in verse 19, we read those incredible words. And, 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 and here's what is so encouraging about verse 19. This is what, uh, is, is what I love about it. What it's telling us is he has a plan. He has a plan. Okay, now you type A people, you're just like, oh, let's go. There is a plan. Because man, it didn't seem like it. It doesn't feel like it. There is a plan. So everything that is happening, happening is operating off of this sovereign, God-defined plan. Okay, so, so there's, there's not a mistake. There's not this like, oh my goodness, how did they get elected? What are we gonna do there? Or, oh, do you see what they're doing now? Oh, or him or that, or they changed that. What are we gonna do? Holy Spirit, I don't know. Like, no, no, all, everything is, he's got a plan. So everything that was, that was going on and happening, everything that is, that's happening, that's going on, everything that will be today and tomorrow is all in accordance with his plan. And so with that is what? Just this like, ah, oh, man. Okay. He's got this. He's got this. He's got me. And then he finishes by informing them that the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches and that the seven lampstands are the seven churches we see in chapters two and three, which I cannot wait to go through the next couple weeks. You guys, right, Revelation rightly understood. It had a word for the first century church. It had a word for, it's had a word for the church throughout history, and it has a word for us, church, today, and for the church tomorrow. 
And at the heart of that message is this. We need, we must get to the place where we're once again, or maybe for the first time, gazing upon the exalted and glorified Jesus Christ. We have to get to that place where he is there. We have to get to that place. The the word is that he is there in that place right now. And the word is he has wonderful and marvelous and perfect plans that he's orchestrating uh, right now in our midst and that will come to pass. It will happen. And and, and so we can, can, can sit here and receive this message knowing that Jesus is in this place, in this glorified spot where, where John is given a glimpse. He doesn't even know how to describe it. In fact, he just drops over like a dead man, and then he tries to describe it, and then he is caught up in the wonder of that and the reality that, that, that Jesus has this incredible plan for all of us. And so we, we, we sit here and we realize, man, if I could just receive that, it's like, yeah, you will be blessed if you receive that. That's the promise of the book. If you receive what is written here, you will be blessed. And, 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 and I don't know how we could think otherwise, right? Because what we're hearing is he's not outside of the church. He's walking amongst the church. He's a part of this. He's involved. Uh, we don't have to fear time anymore, right? I mean, he's the first and the last, he says. So what am I complaining about time? Uh, I don't have to fear life because he's alive forevermore. And I don't have to fear about dying. Why? Because he holds the keys to it. And so what we need today is a new and a fresh awareness of who Christ is and his incredible glory. This is, as verse one tells us, this is the revelation of Jesus and we need this more than ever. If we're gonna be faithful, we're gonna walk through this together. Amen? And I just pray that you go along this journey with us because it's gonna be more and more exciting as we walk through this. But right now, let's just get caught up in that. The glory of Christ and what we read and the encouragement and the blessing that flows from that. And let's, and let's sing in response and worship. So let me, let me pray for us.